0: This morning, we're continuing our look at the book of Ephesians, and we're talking about God's eternal purpose for His church, and we're in the last section of Ephesians chapter four today, we're going to be talking about the fact that mature Christians have a different way of doing things, and that is not an understatement. In fact, when you look at this portion of Scripture and how it describes the life of a mature follower of Christ you begin to see that there's a drastically different manner of living that God has called believers to exemplify and to to live out. And so if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up at verse 17, and I'm going to read all the way to the end, and then we'll come back and revisit these verses a section at a time. But Ephesians 4, starting with verse 17, this is what it says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord... forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us today to be able to look at your word, to be able to study it together, to be able to think about the things that you've communicated to us here. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that we have the privilege to start off our week looking at something like this and really thinking about the nature of the new life that you have given us through faith in your son, Jesus Christ Lord, we know that you desire that we walk with you. you know, we know that you desire that we live and think differently. We know, Lord, that you have given us a brand new life, and it doesn't reflect the kind of life that we once lived. So, Lord, we pray that we would take great encouragement and great admonition from this portion of Scripture today, and we pray that we would ultimately honor you with every day that you've blessed us with. But we certainly, Lord, uh, just give you the praise for the fact that you've given us this particular day. And we pray that in this day that we would honor your name. And we thank you for all of these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I came across uh, a video the other day. Do you ever, do you ever have an instance where you're, um, where you're looking for something on YouTube, and then you watch it, but then YouTube recommends something else to you that has nothing to do with what you were watching, but yet it has great interest to you? And you're like, oh, well, I guess I'll watch that too. And then seven hours later, you're like, all right, now I should get on with my life, Right? So I had an experience like that the other day, thankfully not a long experience like that, but I came across a video the other day of a man who found a notebook that he had put together his senior year of high school, and, uh, he grad- and this was interesting because he graduated more than 30 years ago. He graduated in 1989 from high school, so it definitely was a, a glimpse into his mind. It was a glimpse into his life during a very drastically different season of life from where he's at right now. And when I, when I started watching the video, I was very curious uh, about what he was going to find as he started paging through it. But then he paused the footage. So he just kind of had like a little bit of a teaser there. You can see the cover of the notebook. It seemed like a really interesting uh, subject here. And he paused the footage and he gave this warning. This is what he said, as best as I can remember it. He said, when I wrote and drew what is on these pages, I was a much younger person. I was interested in crass and obnoxious things. I was fascinated with all kinds of vulgarity. And I want to warn you before you watch any further that if you don't find things like that funny, you definitely aren't going to enjoy what I'm about to show you. And I took that as my cue to end the video there. I was like, okay, do you believe me that I ended the video there? Do you think that I watched out of curiosity? I promise you, I ended it right there. But it got me thinking about something. It got me thinking about just, you know, an earlier season of life and the type of things that that certainly piqued my interest or certain things that that fascinated me during an earlier season of my life. And have you ever stopped to analyze and really think about some of your interests and and your priorities and, and goals and how those things change over time? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever, do you ever look at a, a, an older picture of yourself and just kind of get taken back to that moment and almost chuckle at some of the things that were important to you when that picture was taken? And you think, those things don't even matter to me now. And those yet those things seem so important. They, they seem like life or death to me at the time. You know, do the things that were interesting to you in elementary school, do those things still matter to you now? You know, do, do the... Um, does the kind of humor that you that you enjoyed in high school, does it still seem funny to you? Don't answer that, some of you, all right? Um, <laughs> do the goals that you pursued when you were in your 20s, do those things still motivate you? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Are you serving in the kind of career that you studied in college to serve in? I would suspect that probably half of you are not. And my guess is that that when you think through some of those questions, some of those things I mentioned, I could even mention a few other things. But even in just bringing those things up, I bet you, it, it just in your mind, it probably helps highlight some of the differences that become noticeable between earlier years of your life and this present season of your life right now. And the truth is, if we're healthy and if we're growing over the course of our life, we're going to also develop wisdom and we're also going to develop maturity. We change over time. Uh, We experience wisdom and maturity that impacts us socially, and but I also think, like you know, when you think about just the spiritual progress that we've made over the course of our lives, or the maturity that we've developed spiritually, you notice changes when you observe your life over the course of years and over the course of decades. Things that at once were not on your radar over time get on your radar, and start to become very important life priorities. And I bring that up because here in Ephesians chapter 4, when we're looking at verse 17 down to the end of the, uh, down to the, end of the chapter, you have Paul here painting a picture. And the picture that he's painting here is a picture of spiritual maturity. And he, he's illustrating here the many different ways that a believer in Christ thinks and facilitates life and interacts with other people, and how that's supposed to be different from the unbelieving world. In fact, mature Christians have a different way of doing things. And that's what's illustrated in this portion of Scripture. And there's a few ways that Paul demonstrates this for us, and I want to highlight these for us today. And the first is this. First of all, we think differently. We think differently. Let me reread what he said in verse 17 and the verses following it. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So notice the contrasts he's making here. And he says, in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And then look at what he says in verse 19. He says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Now, let me pause there for just a second. Have you ever gone through a season of life that was just so difficult and so draining that you said, I don't know how I would have gotten through this season of life if not for the Lord's help? You ever go through a season of life life like that? I frequently think that. I think, how would I, how would I even navigate this if I didn't have the hope that I have in Christ? How would I navigate this if I didn't have the confidence that he would actually see me through this, the confidence that, that he would actually work this all out for his glory and for my good? And I often wonder about that very thing when I'm interacting with some of my unbelieving friends. I think, I think what, like, how do you deal with what you're dealing with right now? You don't share the same hope that I share, and so so how are you handling this dark season? How are you handling this this challenging season? Sometimes I wonder, are are you trying to see beyond the moment, or are you unable to see beyond the moment, and uh, as a result, it's leading to greater discouragement or or greater depression? Now, when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, their entire life changes. If a person genuinely trusts in Jesus, their entire life changes changes. They are not who they once were. In fact, when you look at what Scripture tells us, it says we become a new creation in Christ. And when you become a new creation in Christ, what ends up happening is that He changes your priorities, and He changes your perspective, and He gives you a greater hope where you did not have hope prior. And at one time, you know, maybe we lived our life consumed with the things of this world and consumed with the the limited thinking that tends to go along with that. But when we trust in Jesus Christ, Scripture actually tells us we're given the mind of Christ. So think about that for a second. If you have the mind of Christ, what does that mean? Well, it means that you begin to see your circumstances and your own life, and you begin to see other people with the eyes of God. So your life is different. Your mindset is different. Your eyesight, you could even say, is different. Your heart motivations change. You become a new creation in Christ. And the way Paul describes it in these verses that we just read together, he tells us that a mature Christian. So, if you're seeking to be a mature Christian, if you've grown mature in your Christ, or are growing mature in your Christ, or in your faith in Christ. And by the way, I believe we're always in process, right? You know, we're always in process. None of us should ever be so smug as to say, "I've arrived." You know, when we're glorified in Christ's presence, then we could say we've arrived. But up until that time, we're in process, we're growing maturity, we're developing maturity. But Paul tells us that a mature Christian is not to think like an unbeliever. If you're mature in your walk in Christ, you're not to think like an unbeliever. And so in this passage, look at, I mean, just think about how he describes an unbeliever's thinking. He describes it as being futile. He describes it as being darkened. Already that doesn't sound terribly pleasant, does it? But then he also says it's also ignorant and it's hardened. So it's futile, it's darkened, it's ignorant, and it's hardened. That's what he says. That's the mindset, that's the thinking pattern of one who who ignores Christ or has no faith in Christ. And he explains what that leads to. I think some people think that it, it leads to nothing bad, you know, it's just fine, it's just how people in this world think. But he says this is what it leads to. It leads to callousness. It leads to sensuality it leads to greed, and it it leads to impurity. These are the things that Paul says that that kind of thinking, it leads to these very things. So basically he's saying a dark way of thinking will lead to a dark way of living, and the ultimate outcome will be destructive, not productive. That's the picture that he's trying to paint in these opening verses. But believers in Christ, we don't need to fall into that pattern of thinking any longer. We once fell into that pattern of thinking, but that doesn't need to be our pattern of thinking any longer. And why is that? Well, it's because we become enlightened to the liberating truth of the gospel. We're starting to see the things that the Lord desires that we see. We've been empowered, as Paul describes it here, to put off the old garment of our old desires and to put on our new self, which has been renewed through Jesus Christ. And think about this now. In Christ, we've been, get, we've been granted a deeper level of understanding. And the scripture also reveals to us that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're enabled to walk in righteousness, and we're enabled to walk in holiness. That is a much better outcome than the life that we were leading, apart from Christ's intervention. And so Paul's trying to draw a very stark contrast. And isn't it, isn't it such a relief to be graced with just the divinely empowered ability to see things differently. And it's one of the greatest blessings that you and I experience as believers in Jesus Christ. Our entire perspective has changed. Sometimes it feels like we're able to see right through the deceptive motives that this, that this world is... It, you know, it's trying to present something to us and saying, this is a value, this is something that you should wrap your life and your mind all around... And as a believer in Christ who's been given new eyes through Jesus, do you ever find yourself saying, I can see right through that? At an earlier season of life, that probably would have been appealing to me, but I can see right through it, and I don't want that now. What's happening is the Spirit of God is opening up our eyes and our minds to begin to value the things that He values, and to respond when He, when he challenges us, and to respond Uh, in a favorable way to Him when the temptations of this world are being presented before us, we can say, "All right, Lord, I want what matters to You. And the only reason You and I want what matters to the Lord is because He's enabled us with His divine power to think differently. We think differently now. I don't think like I used to think. Now, sometimes that old manner of thinking starts to creep in, but through the power of the Spirit, what happens? We catch it. And we notice it. We're like, oh, you know what? For half a second, that seemed like a good idea. For half a second. And then through the counsel of the Holy Spirit, we realize, no, because I know what that leads to. Scripture's revealed to me what that leads to. And it's not the kind of life that I want to live. And it's not the kind of example that I want to set. And so Paul says, look, if you're going to grow mature in your faith in Christ, here's what happens you're going to think differently the way you used to think and the way you think now, it's going to be different, and it's going to keep improving as you keep welcoming the power of the Holy Spirit to transform your thinking. But then he goes on from there to talk about the fact that we start to function differently. So the things that you and I do, obviously are going to come back to what we believe and what we think, right? So if we're believing new things, if we're we're thinking in a better way, we're going to function differently. Look at what he says when you look at verse 25 down to verse 28. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, I love that portion of Scripture. It's basically saying it's a new way of living. You have a new way of thinking that's now accompanied by a new way of living. And it's glorious, and it's wonderful, and it's better than what this world offers you. But there's probably going to be a season of your life where you own that. Do you ever get to a spot where you just kind of own that, where you just say, you know what? I know how I used to think, and I know how I used to live, and I'm drawing a line. Do you ever get to that spot where you, where you, draw, where you just decide, I, it's time to draw the line? And we get to that spot at different seasons of life. I know some people that, that kind of drew that line when they were four years old and they never look back. And others, you know, when they're, they're 10 years old. I came to faith in Christ when I was 10 years old, but you know what? I really feel like I drew that line? I was about 15 years old. When I was 15 years old, I was like, you know what, all right, I'm drawing that line. Now, that's still, you know, at the time I thought, why? Why have I waited so long, right? The longer I lived, the more I realized, no, that's still a pretty young age to kind of get to that spot. But I remember, and I think I've told this story before, but I was thinking about it a lot this week. And so I'm going to share it because this is one of those things. Do you ever have a moment that doesn't just convince you that the Lord's helping you to draw the line, but but the Lord uses something in your life to actually convince those that spend a lot of time with you that something's different? Have you had that moment where somebody else has kind of noticed in your life? For me, and again, I think I've shared this before, but that happened to me when I was in 10th grade. I was 15 years old. And I remember one afternoon in 10th grade, I walked into our biology class and I discovered a surprise that very much got my attention. There were these display cases on the walls in the biology class that had a window that faced out into the hallway so that people walking by could see whatever was put on display in the class. And in that display, there was a tarantula and it was in a small aquarium, and it was, I don't know who it belonged to, but it was there for someone to, to see. It was on display, and I was looking at that tarantula for a second. And uh, normally that display case was locked. You know, if something was in there, it was usually locked because they realized, okay, if people are going by this year and they're in high school, we might need to lock what we put on display in these cases. But I happened to notice that on this day, that display case was not locked. And So I'm looking at this here, and, and I don't know where our teacher was. But when I arrived in the classroom, the only people that were there were my friends. And I'm looking at this unlocked display case, and I'm looking at my friends, and as soon as I put two and two together, there was like a flash of light that just kind of lit up in my eyes, and I got a big smirk on my face, and I think my, my friends knew exactly where this was going because I knew that this was going to be the perfect opportunity to release that tarantula in our school. And I thought, for sure, this is going to be the most epic thing I've ever done. And I thought, all right, here we go. And by the way, a year earlier, I had done something similar. So my friends are looking at this, and they're like, oh, it's on. A year earlier, in another, in another science classroom, I reached into a tank and grabbed a fish out of it. And I set the fish free. And uh, fish like to be in water. They don't like to be free. It made it back into the water in time. It's all right. It had a happy ending. But it, it certainly made my friends laugh. And so I put two and two together. I'm looking at this thing, and I'm thinking, all right, here we go. So I slid open the door of the display. I picked up that little aquarium, and I took it out. Rose is shaking her head. She's like, Pastor, you couldn't. It's a different season, Rose. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I popped open the lid of that thing, and I prepared to shake that spider on the floor, and I thought, this is going to be so epic. This is going to be great. And then I paused. I just paused. Now, several months earlier, I had asked the Lord to help me grow mature in my faith. I don't know, did I time that wrong? You know, Frank's looking at me, he's like, why did you wait, like, one more year, give it one more year, this would have been a great story. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm like, one step away from just releasing that thing on the floor, I've got the lid open, my friends are looking all excited, and I hear this voice in my head basically saying, don't do it, <laughs> don't do it. I'm like, oh, I have a conscience now. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> and I remember, I just, I like, I still remember my friend Bobby watching this take place, and uh, and I just like paused. I have the lid open. I'm ready to shake this thing out onto the floor, and then I thought, no, don't do it. And so I lowered the lid, and I took the aquarium and I put it back in, and then I closed the display. And I walked away, and I sat down, and I remember Bobby in particular looking at me, and he said, what happened to you? He goes, what happened to you? He goes, you changed. And then he said this, and I think I'm quoting him pretty accurately when I say this. He looked at me, and he said, all right, you've changed. The old John Stange would have done that. And the truth is, he was 100% right. He was 100% right. The old John Stange would have done that, but I wasn't that John Stange anymore. That's the difference. And I think about things like that when I look at a portion of Scripture like this, because obviously, like, that whole tarantula thing wouldn't have been the biggest deal in the world. I don't even think that it'd be, like, the worst moral failing. It wouldn't be wise, but it might even still be funny. I'm not even saying I wouldn't do it now, all right? But um, in that moment, though, my conscience was convicted, and what I was finding difficult... Was to, it just wasn't easy for me to ignore what I felt was the voice of God telling me to do something. Like, at one point, it was easy for me to ignore. At one point, it was really easy for me to ignore the voice of God. And then I was getting to a point at that season where I was like, I can't, I can't pray for maturity and then have the Holy Spirit nudge my heart in a particular way and then still do whatever I want. I can't, it can't be that way. And so here, when you look at a portion of Scripture like this, what Paul's saying is, look yeah, you functioned one way before. We get it. We all did, right? We all did that. That's just the nature of how life goes. You're born into this world, and we're born as sinners. No one has to teach you how to sin. You just know it, and you're good at it from day one, right? And what the scripture's saying is the Lord has a better plan for you than that. You don't have to stay in that mess. That's what Jesus came to this earth to lift you up out of, So as an adult, or as a teenager, or as a college student, or somebody that's in your senior years, you don't have to go back to that stuff. You can be done with it. Draw the line. A mature Christian functions differently in this world because we start listening to the voice of God. As the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, as the Holy Spirit, as he grips our conscience, we function differently. And that impacts everything. It impacts the decisions we make. It impacts the way we treat one another. It impacts our desire to give the devil opportunities to deceive us. I think it's interesting how Paul talks about this idea here, you know, be angry and do not sin. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. That's a powerful statement right there. Now, a lot of times I think we like to apply that portion of Scripture in marriage. I frequently hear that portion of Scripture applied in marriage, right? If you're having conflict with your spouse don't, you know, settle it before you go to bed, right? Settle that. Don't, don't let that linger because what ends up happening is it turns into bitterness, right? And it becomes a, a deeper level problem. So if you could settle it quickly, settle it quickly. And that's one way that certainly applies, but does, don't you think it applies to a lot of things? I mean, how about this? You know, let's just pick the past, well, we could pick the past year, we could pick the past week, whatever stretch of, of, of time that you would like. Is there not something that has recently made you angry in some sphere of your life? Now, are there some things that are worth getting angry about? Yeah, there are. Right? There are certain things that actually are worth being angry about. But it's, very, it's a very fine line between righteous anger and unforgiveness that turns into bitterness. And where's that line? And how close to that line do you want to try and live? The truth is, Paul's saying here, for most of us, if that anger that sticks around for more than like 12 minutes. Like you got a good 12 minutes. But if it sticks around longer than that, what's going to end up happening? The devil looks at that and he's like, oh good, you're miserable. Oh, look how sour you are. You know, look at, look at how upset you are. Can you believe that so-and-so said that to you? Can you believe that so-and-so, can you believe that your spouse could be so ignorant as to do this or do that? Can you believe that your neighbor would choose to do this or say this or your coworker or whatever? And you get that narrative going in your mind, going in your mind. Or that person calls himself a Christian. A real Christian wouldn't do that. And the devil's like, yeah, let me just divide and conquer, divide and conquer. Let me just do that. And it's as if we go through life thinking, I'm the only one that doesn't need forgiveness from other people, right? And the sooner we start thinking that, what ends up happening is we stop showing forgiveness. And then our anger turns into bitterness, and the devil's like, wonderful, it's good to be back, I missed hanging out. And Paul's here saying, no, as a believer in Christ, you function differently now. You used to give the devil all kinds of opportunities to walk all over you. You don't have to do that anymore. That doesn't have to be the kind of life you live now. A greater power is at work within you. The Holy Spirit, don't give in to a lesser power. Let the Holy Spirit have His way in your life. Don't don't give the devil opportunity to deceive you. And Paul, it's very interesting. When you look at at, um, how this typically plays out in the life of a believer, there's three examples that Paul gives us here about how believers function differently as we grow mature in our faith. Look at what he says. One of the things he tells us here is that we speak truth instead of falsehood. I was talking to my dad yesterday, and he was he was telling me about somebody that he works with, and he says, You know, can I just express some frustration I have with the guy? I was like, Go for it, Dad. And he said, All right, here's my frustration. Every time I talk to that guy, he lies. <laughs> it's like he lies about everything. I asked him what year his car was, he lied. And then he told me he moved to a new place, and he said he bought the place, and then I find out he's renting. He's like, why do I care what year your car is or whether you're renting or bought a place? Why do you have to lie about all these... Like, he's like, everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie, and I don't know what to... And I think to myself, well, how, how frequently were we living a lie? You know, we were lying to ourselves. We got so good at lying to ourselves, telling us, oh, this is all going to be fine. This is all going to be fine. There'll be no consequences for living this life of rebellion against the Lord. It'll all be fine. We got good at lying to ourselves, and then we got good at lying to other people, and then we just live this lie that reflects the heart of Satan instead of reflecting the heart of Christ. And what Paul says, no, you're different now. You're different. The Holy Spirit lives within you, and as He lives in you, we speak truth instead of falsehood now. So that's one change. That's one way we function differently. He also talks about the fact that we don't hold on to our anger any, lo- any longer now, we, you know, and, and we don't let it become bitterness within us. That's another change. But how about this? He also says, effectively, we stop stealing and we become honest workers who look for opportunity to share with others in need instead of taking from others in a deceitful manner. We stop stealing. We start sharing. We function differently. The truth is, if we truly trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and we sincerely give Him sway over the direction of our lives, and and we listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I believe that that's going to be the kind of fruit that we'll start to see regularly. Our manner of speaking will change. Our desire to forgive will grow. Our drive to generously bless others, I think it's all going to be noticeably heightened. And it's all evidence that through Christ, we have been given a brand new way of doing things. And then Paul brings up one other powerful demonstration of the Spirit of God, His power in our life. And he basically tells us when you look at verses 29 down to the end of the chapter that we interact differently, that our interaction with one another, it's very different. Look at what he says in verse 29. He says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. Then he says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Then he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, one of the most powerful demonstrations that, that we possess, and it's you know, a powerful demonstration of the power of Christ specifically, that's, that's shown in the way we choose to interact with one another, the ways He's enabled us, the ways he's, he's inspired us to interact with one another. In many ways, I think that's going to be displayed in the ways we speak, and you have Paul talking about that here. And I think about that particular aspect of our interaction quite frequently, the way we speak, the words that we use as we interact with one another. Um, I, I'll just say from a personal standpoint, it's become very obvious to me that the primary way that the Lord has been opening doors for me to, to serve other people typically happens in two ways. In my life, it typically happens either through a microphone or a keyboard. A microphone or a keyboard. Those are the primary doors the Lord keeps opening up for me to serve other people and glorify His name. And the way that looks in my life, I preach, I teach, I write, I record, I counsel, and I pray. And the bulk of my time over the course of any given week is focused on those activities. And so when I read a portion of Scripture like this, my eyes are drawn to a very particular statement that we just read. Give grace to those who hear. I love that line, right? Give grace to those who hear. The way he says it in verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. But I'm hearing it like a commandment in my own mind. Not just an observation, but a commandment. Hey, John, give grace to those who hear. Give grace to those who hear. That's precisely what's motivating me. And the way I phrase it in my own mind, it's like this. As I have received grace from Jesus... I want to generously display or share that grace with the words that come out of my mouth. So I look at it this way. I I can either glorify the Lord with my words and with the ways in which I interact people, or I can grieve His Spirit when you look at what this portion of Scripture says. So it's basically glorify or grieve. Glorify or grieve. John, which one are you going to do? Glorify or grieve. Those are my options. So what I'm choosing to do is to glorify because I don't want to grieve. But does it surprise you that we can grieve the Holy Spirit? Because Paul brings that subject up here. Does that surprise you? I think that's a surprising statement. I don't think it's as surprising when we think about it for a few minutes, but I think on the surface, when you look at that, the fact that Scripture says you could actually grieve the Holy Spirit, I think, how? How could I grieve the Holy Spirit? What What does that mean? I think many of us, just in general, Sometimes I think we, we make the mistake of thinking of God as unemotional and unfeeling, that He's just just serious, and if he ever expresses any emotion, it's just anger about something, right? Do you ever just think that God is that, that kind of like just one-dimensional? He's either straight-faced, <laughs> Or he's angry about something, right? And sometimes we, we, we look at that and we think, all right, like those, that's, those are God's functions, right? He can be straight-faced and serious or angry. And then you look at what the Scripture says here, and it says that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the heart of God. And I don't think that should surprise us terribly. And let me give you my reasoning why I don't think that that should be a shock to us, that we could grieve His heart. When God created us, how did He create us? Scripture tells us He created us in His image. So there's something we can actually learn about God when we observe what He has created. So when you look at how He has created human beings, and He tells us, look, I created humanity. I created man and woman. I created them in my image. It's like in my likeness, you know, Scripture tells us. So, okay, so if if I'm interacting with somebody and I speak disrespectfully to them, or if I fail to treat them with kindness... What kind of emotional response could I expect to receive from somebody that I treat poorly or, or speak poorly to? It's not going to be healthy, right? It's not going to be positive. Like you, do, you ever, do you ever say something and immediately you could read the impact that's had on a person's heart just by looking at their face? You see it immediately? Do you ever, you know, parents, do you ever say something and realize that you were way too harsh with one of your children and you kind of crush their spirit in a moment and immediately you try and walk it back <laughs> a little bit? You're like... Whoops, you know, it's like I didn't I don't mean it as hard as I said it. I'm sorry, right? Um, I've had that happen many, many times in my in my years of, of being a father. And you can see what's going on in a person's heart, sometimes just by looking at their face, how your words have impacted them in one way or another so you can see what their heart is feeling. And when you look at this passage here, I think Paul is attempting to speak to us on an emotional level, and he wants us to see the heart and the face of God, even in our interactions with other people. It's like, as I'm interacting with another person, I think one of the marks of maturity, if I want to grow mature in my faith, my mind needs to be seeing the heart and the mind of God, the heart and the face of God, as I'm interacting with another person. And as they demonstrate the impact that something I might say or an act that I might take toward them, as they demonstrate the impact that it's having on them, I think that if my mind is attuned to what the Lord desires, I'm going to be thinking about how that actually impacts the heart of God. I need to know that the way that I speak and the way I interact with others is bringing a smile to God's face. I want to bring a smile to God's face. I don't want to grieve his heart. You know, Scripture talks about this idea of seeking God's face. Do you ever hear that phrase? Isn't it interesting how as believers we have, like, code language? And sometimes you'll hear someone pray, like, I just want to seek his face. And sometimes I wonder if an unbeliever is like, seek his face. On earth do these people talk about? Like, what does that even mean? How do you seek someone's face? I want to seek your face. Seek my face. What does that mean? Seek my face. Well, Scripture uses that kind of language. It's like the idea of, do I actually want to see God's face right now, or would I prefer that he not be looking in my direction? Do I want to see what my words and my living, do I want to see how they're impacting the heart of God, or would I prefer that he Look away for a minute. Look over there. Look over there. Look over... Look at Phil. Don't look at me right now. Look at Phil. Right? <laughs> Look at EJ. He's all dressed up. Look, at, look over there. And So I think to myself, it's like, all right, today, am I walking by faith in Jesus Christ? Am I living that faith out? Is that bringing a smile to the face of God, or am I grieving the heart of God because I've chosen to go my own selfish way? And Paul here is saying, all right, if you're going to walk the walk of maturity, you're going to interact with other people differently, and it will have an impact on the very heart of God. And how about this? What sense does it make for a believer in Christ to grieve the very same Spirit with which we have been sealed? Paul here talks about the fact that we've been sealed by that Spirit. Now, by the way, what does it mean to be sealed by the Spirit? Because he brings that up in this portion of Scripture. That might be something that's, that's worth elaborating on for a quick second. What does it mean that you've been sealed by the Spirit? Well, keep in mind that as you trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment, you are are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are preserved and you are protected by the Spirit of God while you await for the ultimate day when you will be glorified in His presence. You are preserved and you are protected by Him. He's actively working in our lives. He's actively working in us in such a way that He's going to see us through to the end. His presence in our life certifies and confirms the fact that we belong to God and we are part of God's family. And as part of that family, I don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent the head of that family. Nor do I want to give our spiritual family a bad name by living like, like my father might actually be the evil one. It actually reminds me of what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Think about what Jesus said in John chapter 8 when you look at verse 42 down to verse 44. He said this, and this is where I want to finish today. I just want us to be thinking about this. Like, think about it from a family standpoint. You know, am am I honoring my father in this moment, right? Jesus said to them, by the way, the context is you you have these religious leaders, these religious elites that are looking at Jesus, and they're basically picking apart everything that he's saying, and they're holding themselves in a very snooty and smug way above him. And he makes some comments to them. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because they were talking about the fact that God was their father. You know, like this idea. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. It's interesting when you look at that because it's a reminder to me, and I think it's a reminder to all of us when, when we look at that portion of Scripture together, that we're called to be part of a different family. You have a different father than you did before you knew the Lord. You're part of a new family. And as part of a new family, as a believer in Christ, who can look at God and say, Lord, you, you really are my father now. You have a different way of doing things. This family does things differently. Right? This family does things differently. Through faith in Christ, through the empowerment of the Spirit, we think, we function, and we interact in a brand new way. So let's embrace that truth. And let's continue to press on towards spiritual maturity, like this portion of Scripture is encouraging us to do, and deepen our walk with Christ in the process. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this and to think about the things that you bring up to us in it. Lord, we know that, that as men and women who have been on a journey with you, Lord, we know that there are seasons of our life that we could look back at and we can really see that our priorities were drastically different from what they are right now. Or maybe we're looking at our life right now and saying, I really need to draw the line here. Lord, we know that we're very much in process. We know that we're always going to be making further progress in our faith as we trust in you during the course of this earthly life. We know that the day is coming when we will be glorified in your presence forever. But in the meantime, Lord, we need to trust in you. We need to walk with you. We need to to rely on your power. We're just so grateful for the fact that in you we're, we're made members of a new family. Lord, our allegiance in the past was such that, that it, uh, it, it demonstrated the fact that this world's priorities were our own, and, and in many respects, we could look back to the life that we were living before, and, and it, it's painful to have to admit this, but Lord, we, we look back, and, and the very same things that the, your son spoke to the religious leaders of the day during the course of his earthly ministry were true of us as well. We were living as if our father was the devil, as if our father was the evil one. We were not yet acknowledging you as father. We had no desire at that point to be part of your family. And if we believed that you existed, we didn't trust in you. And if we believed that you existed, all we wanted you to do was look away. But Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be men and women who are who are eager to seek your face and invite you to... To smile upon the things that are taking place in our lives as your spirit empowers us to mature. Lord, we're not perfect. Your Son is perfect. We do know that there will be a day in your presence when we will be perfect. But in the meantime, Lord, we're grateful for your patience with us. We pray that we would demonstrate that patience to one another, that we would demonstrate that forgiveness to one another because we have been forgiven by you. We pray that we would be eager to display forgiveness as well. And we pray that if if any of us is still at that spot where we're, we're giving the devil opportunity to deceive us, we pray that today would be the day that, again, we would, draw, that we would just draw that line and say, all right, I don't want to do that any longer. But that your mind would become our mind, that your eyes would become our eyes, and that we would care about the things that matter most to you. So, Lord, thank you for the privilege to be able to look at your word today and to recognize that you are not unfeeling that it is possible for us to grieve your heart, but it's also possible for us to look at that and say, I don't ever want to do that. So, Lord, help us to live our lives in such a way that we walk by faith and that day in and day out we think about this idea of, of just making your face smile and not your heart grieve. We don't want to grieve your heart. We want to honor you. Lord, thank you for making us part of your family Thank you for the privilege that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to start off our week gathered together, worshiping you together, spending time together as a family, and trusting in you, and trusting in the fact that that you accomplish a great work through your church as we gather together and worship you. We love you, Lord. We commit ourselves to you now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.